Great, thank you very much. It's lovely to be back with you. I hope you're all surviving January so far. Um, tomorrow is supposed to be what they call Blue Monday, which is all based on spurious science. That is the most depressing day of the year. Don't worry about it, it's not. Because tomorrow means that we're even closer to what I think is going to be the most exciting day of the year, the 22nd of February this year, because it's 22-2-22, and it's a Tuesday, so it's going to be... Tuesday. <laughs> and I think we all have to wear tutus. Anyway, I'm very excited about Tuesday this year, so um, hopefully we'll all get there. So I'm continuing your series uh, for this part of the year. I feel like I've done this all incorrectly. There we go. Sort myself out. Um, I tried to do it with my eyes shut while we were praying. That's the mistake. Um, so uh, we're continuing your series called Crying Out, and you're looking at prayer. Um, and thinking about prayer as something about crying out to God and our heartfelt pleas. And so this series has been divided into three blocks. Later on, you're going to be looking at cries for the church and then cries for the town and local area. But at the moment, we're in this week three of four weeks in the first block about cries of the heart. Um, and last week, Andrew spoke on prophetic lament. And he said that the encouragement of that type of prayer is about speaking plainly to God, that we're encouraged to ask difficult questions. God, why? When, God, are you going to fix this? When are you going to come and make change? How is this happening? So this week um, I was given the title Cries of the Heart, which by the way is sort of the feeling that I always get when I'm given a title for here. Um, <laughs> so we're a few weeks after Christmas and I think we can speak plainly about what the worst Christmas gift you've ever been given is um, and whether you have reached that stage. I think this is the true mark of adulthood where you tip over from seeing socks as really boring to socks to be something really excited about. Um, I don't know what age that happens at but I'm convinced it's the sign that you uh, really reach full maturity. So several years ago, when the rest of us were allowed to have work Christmas parties, I mean meetings, um, we had a secret Santa. And we play secret Santa at work in several different ways. Sometimes we do a random lucky dip. Sometimes you have to pick a name out. There's always a limit. It was, it's usually five pound limit. Um, and this year it was a, you know, pick a name out of the hat and buy a specific person for them. And I think I was among the last people to get my present that year. Um, and my excitement was mounting. Everyone was opening really exciting presents. Someone got a five pound Costa coffee gift card. If ever you're doing a Secret Santa, this is the best gift ever. Um, I got it another time. It was brilliant. Other people had got really thoughtful charity shop purchases. Someone had got a nice paperback book. Someone else unwrapped a really beautiful box of M&S biscuits. And at last, it was my turn. And I had a really unusual shape. I was so excited. I opened it up, and inside it was a quince. <laughs> One quince. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with quinces. They're a kind of hard, fragrant fruit that you put in a, um, an apple crumble. Or when I was growing up, our next-door neighbour had a quince tree that came over our back garden, so my mum was always making quince jelly to give away as gifts. Um, but you open it up, and it's one quince. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know what to think about this. Had I had a conversation at work about quinces? It's not really something that comes up in conversation, is it? Um, had someone panicked and thought, oh, I don't know what to get, a, a quince, it's perfect. Um, am I that hard to buy for that someone was like, I know what she'll like, a quince. It's, you know, just buy me socks. I've told you, I'm old enough to find it interesting. Um, but I really wanted to go to the Secret Santa Complaints Office, but there isn't one. You can't have a Santa Complaints Office. It's just not the done thing. 
Um, and I guess a lot of people might want a biblical complaints department. Uh, who do we go to come to complain about the quints that life has given us when all I wanted was a £5 coffee shop gift card? Um, when something goes wrong in our lives, who is to blame? Um, who do we go to when we're expecting a nice gift and get something that doesn't quite fit with who we thought we were? Now, my quince example is very flippant. Um, I still don't know who got me that quince, but when I find out... Um, um, so in their introductory session a couple of weeks ago, Ben and I talked about the different way that the baby's cries work um, and how eventually parents learn to tell the different cries apart. And they're applying it to prayer and thinking about the different ways and the different points of prayer that there is. And one of those things is, is about the cry of the heart, and that's what we're looking at this morning. So when I was doing some research for this talk, um, I came across an author called Mark Rogop. He's written a book, which I haven't read, um, so I can't tell you whether it's any good or not, but I've listened to some of his talks. Uh, it, the book is called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. And in one of his talks, he talks about the way we, start, we all start off as babies, and we all start off with a literal cry of the heart. You know, there's that breathless moment while you wait for that baby to cry. And we all start off with that cry of what is going on? What is wrong with the world? Something's happened and it's not right. I was really comfortable and safe and change has happened. And we all start our lives with that same cry, that cry of the heart. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to us that we have that cry with us for the rest of our lives. That cry from our heart, what is going on? Why is it this way? Something is not right with the world. And we have that cry when we look at our own lives, when we look at the lives of our friends or relatives, when we look about at the lives of people we care about, and we cry out to God and we say, why God? How God? When, God? And there are times when we look at our church and we say, why, God? What is going on? And there are times when we look at our town and we tearfully say, God, what is going on? Why has this happened? And there are other times when, as humans, we look at our world and the things that we've done to it, or like yesterday, that, that tsunami uh, in Tonga, and we get on our knees and we say, why, God? What is happening? It's the cry of our heart. And the heart cry that we're going to look at this morning is Psalm 10. Um, and I'm going to read it from the message, which I think has done a really good job of keeping the kind of poetic nature of that passage. But if you want to turn to it, please do. Psalm 10. Um, Psalms is always good to read from because it's quite easy to find in your Bible. Okay, Psalm chapter 10. God, are you avoiding me? Where are you when I need you? Full of hot air, the wicked are hot on the trail of the poor. Trip them up. Tangle them up in their fine-tuned plots. The wicked are windbags. The swindlers have foul breath. The wicked snub God, their noses stuck high in the air. Their graffiti are scrawled on their walls. Catch as if you can. God is dead. They care nothing for what you think. If you get in their way, they blow you off. They live, they think, a charmed life. We can't go wrong. This is our lucky year. 
They carry a mouthful of spells. Their tongues spit venom like adders. They hide behind ordinary people. They pounce on their victims. They mark the luckless, then wait like a hunter in the blind. When the poor wretch wanders too close, they stab him in the back. The hapless fool is kicked to the ground. The unlucky victim is brutally axed. He thinks God has dumped him. He's sure that God is indifferent to his plight. Time to get up, God. Get moving. The luckless think they're God forsaken. They wonder why the wicked scorn God and get away with it. Why the wicked are so cocksure they'll never come up for audit. But you know all about it. The contempt. The abuse. I dare to believe that the luckless will get lucky someday in you. You won't let them down. Orphans won't be orphans forever. Break the wicked right arms. Break all the evil left arms. Search and destroy every sign of crime. God's grace and order wins. Godlessness loses. The victim's faint pulse picks up. The hearts of the hopeless pump red blood as you put your ear to their lips. Orphans get parents. The homeless get homes. The reign of terror is over. The rule of the gang lords is ended. There are times when I'm really not sure whether this church is trolling me, um, because I am by nature more on the melancholy end of life. Um, And I'm definitely more than an Eeyore than a Tigger. And when I wrote this sentence, my autocorrect made it, I'm definitely more of an eyesore. I was like, well, that's rude. (laughs) Um, I actually made a cheesecake once, and when I tasted it, I was like, this actually tastes sad. I don't know if you've ever tasted sad cheesecake, but I have that ability to make a cheesecake. I was like, oh, this just tastes of melancholy and tears. Um, I'll always pick Radiohead over Ariana Grande. Um, And I don't know whether you specially pick these topics for me, or whether I make them melancholy. Um, But if it's not you, it's definitely me. Um, But I have long thought that in church, we need more space to lament. We need more songs like that. We need space to express the parts of ourselves that see sadness in the world, in our lives, and in the lives of people around us. To see it and to let it break us and change us. And let us feel the way that it makes us feel. And when that happens, for it to happen without someone else questioning our salvation or our level of faith. We have to stop pretending that Christians all have their lives completely sewn up. We have to stop pretending that our lives are sorted out with that beautiful bow on top. We have to stop our prayer lives and our communal prayer lives being an opportunity to out-holy each other with our words and our language, and maybe I'm only speaking to myself, but our fake humility. And I think I feel this way because I'm a person who has struggled or has lived with doubt their entire life. I sometimes struggle to think that God has got good plans for me. There are times when I don't feel very holy. There are lots of times when I think maybe my prayers are only going as far as the ceiling and no further. There's been plenty of times when I've thought that God wasn't listening, that God isn't changing me, that God isn't who I thought he was. And I struggle with why God doesn't answer my prayers in the way that I want him to. But this psalm is so brutally honest. It sounds difficult even to my ears. 
It expresses such raw emotions. Is it okay to talk to God like this? Is it okay to say these things to God? Is it all right to feel the way that you feel? Well, surprise, God knows already. He knows how you're feeling. He knows that cry of your heart. He is not surprised by your emotions, even if you are. And maybe you already knew this. Maybe this is uh, something that you're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. Maybe it's new information for you, but the Bible is full of emotions. And not just the happy, clappy Christian ones. At least one third of the Psalms in the Bible are put into that category of lament. And how often do we spend a third of our church life in that way? A third of our prayer meetings just feeling broken. In fact, the Bible likes the idea of lament so much, they named a whole book after it. And I know you looked a bit at lament last week, but it, as it makes up such an important part of the Psalms, I thought it was worthwhile doing more this week. But that word lament is not something that we use very often. I don't think I've ever heard it outside of the Bible or, to, or Christian contexts. So what is lament? And to quote Mark Vrogop again, a psalm of lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. And these are a complaint, but they're so much more than a complaint. And these psalms often have a structure or a rhythm to the poetry. So they usually include that initial complaint. And then there's often verses asking God to do something, to act, to be involved. And finally, there's often something that the writer says that they will do, that they'll resolve to do, that they'll... Um, they will love God, they'll trust God, whatever. Uh, and there's a guy called David O. Taylor who's written some resources on this. And I am really sorry that all the things I've managed to quote from are from white men. Um, and I usually try to have a greater range of diverses. Um, but this talk has shown me that if you are not in that demographic, please write a resource about lament. Um, but if you are a person who has social media, I would highly recommend that you follow someone called K Cole Arthur Riley. Um, she's on Facebook under that name. And she's got a, an Instagram account called Black Liturgies. She's excellent. She's got a book coming out next month. So later this year, I could have had a greater diversity of sources. But for now, that's what we've got. So let's look back at this psalm and see if we can trace that movement from pain to trust. Or can I say not even a movement, but trust in the middle of pain. Can we pick out those themes? So let's look back at Psalm 10. So in that first couple of verses, uh, so the version I read said, God, are you avoiding me? Where are you when I need you? Uh, my version up in front of me says, why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now that sounds like a cry of pain to me. That sounds like a cry straight from the heart. It's the cry of someone who is abandoned, who feels like God has left them. It's raw. You can almost hear this being said or written through tears. You can almost imagine the tear-stained face of the person sitting in the room with you while they say that. And if you were sitting in a room with a Christian who said that to you, who said, this is how I feel, God is far off from me, what would be your response? And I think the temptation is always for us to come in with the right words. 
to tell someone else that, oh, God's with you, you know. His, his promise is never going to leave you. God understands what you're going through. And these are all good answers. But I think this level of pain, this cry from the heart needs something more, needs something more expert, and that is actually silence. Listening. Sitting with someone while they express their pain and their frustration and you listen to them. And don't come in with the bow on the top. The psalmist goes on to outline his complaint in verses 2 to 11. He describes the character of wicked people who are prospering. They're doing well. The writer describes them with stark and shocking descriptions. And there is so much emotion in there. The wicked people are arrogant, scheming, boastful, greedy, full of curses and pride. The wicked person sets an ambush. They take lives without concern. This wicked person hunts vulnerable people as if they're a sport, something for entertainment. The wicked person thinks that God has forgotten their victims because that person gets away with the bad behaviour. But God sees God remembers and in his timing God will act. It's not fair, the poet says. It's not fair. Why aren't you doing anything? Where are you? Why are good things happening for this person when they're so bad? And from verse 12 we get the section where David, who probably wrote this psalm, moves to asking God to act. So verse 12 says, Arise, O God, lift up your hand. Don't forget the afflicted. And then in verse 14 we see that movement back into uh, outwardly talking about trust. When David says that God does see what's going on, he does take note of the bad things that are happening. And then he asks God to break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. So arms were a a symbol of someone's strength or power. So this is probably asking God to to break that strength that that wicked person has, rather than asking God to make them a bad fool getting out of the shower. Um, But then at the end, from verse 16, there's this acknowledgement of who God is. That God is king forever and ever. That God hears the desire of the afflicted, that God strengthens hearts and that he will listen. Justice will happen. The wicked will be stopped. But this psalm, this brutally honest psalm, this cry from the heart, shows that generations of people have said, where are you, God? Why aren't you working here? How can you stay silent? So if you feel those things as well, you're in excellent company. This psalm is trying to make sense of all of those emotions, of what is happening around them. This person who wrote it is trying to understand what's happening around them and to them. And it shows that we can be completely honest with God. In fact, these psalms in the Bible assume that we're going to be honest, that we're going to open up to God. So what does that mean for us? Well, the cry of your heart is what matters here. Not that you've got the best theology, um, you've got all the right words to say at the right time, or that you've got a neat life all tied up with string. 
N.T. Wright wrote an article in 2020 for Time called Christianity Offers No Answer About the Coronavirus. It's not supposed to. And he wrote this at the end of that article. It's no part of the Christian vocation or life's work to be able to explain what's happening and why. In fact, it is part of the Christian vocation not to be able to explain and to lament instead. As the spirit laments within us, so we become small shrines where the presence and healing love of God can dwell. And out of that, there can emerge new possibilities, new acts of kindness, new scientific understanding, new hope. It is part of our life's work as Christians not to be able to explain the world, but to lament it instead. And that's how we become small shrines where the presence and healing love of God can dwell. And so often we skip straight to the explanation and don't let ourselves feel those feelings. And church can often make us kind of hide away those feelings as well. And prayer can make us also try and hide those feelings away. But I want you to feel your feelings this morning. I want you to tell them to God. Declare where you see injustice. That might be in your life or in the lives of your friends or in the world around you. You need to sit with it. You need to resolve what your response is going to be. How will you move to trust? How will you bring trust out in your pain? Is it just that you resolve to wait? Is it just that you're going to resolve to, to love God no matter what? I say just, I hate the use of that word. It's never a small thing to resolve to trust God. You might not see the answers in your lifetime. We might not see justice happen everywhere that we pray about. But we can be sure that God sees and he understands. We don't have a God who's far off, but we have one who came to earth as a human, as God in a body, who can sympathise and understand our feelings because he also suffered, that Jesus suffered. And one podcast I listened to put it like this, God is hiding himself, but not in the way you might think. God hides himself in the crucified body of Christ. God hides himself in that broken body. He hides himself in the agony of the garden, in the blood that was shed, and that reveals to us how he works, how he understands us, who he really is. Jesus, who knows deeply what injustice is. Jesus, who experienced that pain, who saw injustice happen to him. And in his trial and crucifixion, saw wicked people prosper. And that same Jesus who through his resurrection enables us to have that relationship with God that we were designed to have. What are you angry about at the moment? What are you so sad about that you haven't really been able to acknowledge the depth of your feelings even to yourself? What does your heart cry over? Have you told God? Have you sat with him? Um, maybe you think that you don't have anything that really is in your heart like that. Maybe there's nothing that springs to your mind immediately. 
I'm going to encourage you. We're going to have a bit of silence in a moment. And that's something that I think we don't often do is have silence. And I think a really important part of prayer is listening. I don't make New Year's resolutions, but I try and have a word for the year. And in December, I decided my word for this year is listen. And we're going to take some stillness. And in that quiet, let's feel our feelings. Let's talk to God or maybe just sit and listen. And maybe there will be an injustice in the world that he lays on your heart. And maybe that is something that you need to wrestle with God about. Where do you see bad people getting all the good stuff? Where in your life are you suffering? Where is the pain? What is the cry of your heart? Where do you long for God to act? Where do you long for a miracle? What have you prayed about a thousand times already just this year? So we're going to have a moment of quiet and stillness. And it might be a time just for you to listen. It might be a time for you to start your own prayer of lament. We're going to pause and have a power, that power of listening. And then after a minute or so, I'm going to read another of the cries of the heart psalms, which is Psalm 13. So let's just sit quietly and have that moment that we need. Long enough, God. You've ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Long enough I've carried this ton of trouble, lived with a stomach full of pain. Long enough my arrogant enemies have looked down their noses at me. Take a good look at me, God, my God. I want to look life in the eye so no enemy can get the best of me or laugh when I fall on my face. I've thrown myself headlong into your arms. I'm celebrating your rescue. I'm singing at the top of my lungs. I'm so full of answered prayers. God sees you. God has not forgotten you. God hears the cry of your heart.